Well, it's good to be here tonight, and it's, uh, I, I tell you, I've really enjoyed just being a part of the, the whole experience of going through the systematic theology. I mean, what a great opportunity just to focus in, in a kind of a focused and, and uh, deliberate way through the Bible. So we're going to wrap up tonight, and uh, hopefully this kind of inspires us all to dig in more. I mean, we've kind of We've done an overview, we've done a, we've done a drive-by, but you know, we, can, we can camp out at any one of these uh, topics and messages and just benefit so much. So, but anyway, let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer and uh, ask God to help us tonight as we approach his word. Well, Lord, we do. We thank you for the rich treasure we have in your word. God, it is a delight to us. But Lord, we need your help tonight. We need your spirit to open our eyes, Lord, to help us to to understand and to grasp. Lord, it's an evidence of your grace that we do, that we understand, that we benefit, that we are nourished by your word. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us, that you'd fill us afresh tonight, that you'd open our eyes Lord, help me tonight, help me to just to, um, to share uh, from that which you've blessed me with in these recent weeks in studying this. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, this is a topic I feel like in a lot of ways I've been well served in over the years. I've, I've been in places and, and walked with with people uh, in discipleship and just people and, and in a church that this is a uh, ecclesiology, the church is uh, loved. I mean, as Jerry, you could tell there's an affection, there's a love, there's a regard for um, the church. And I've benefited from that over the years. But you know, I don't know about you, there's times where there are things that I know and things that I'm convinced of but I forget. <laughs> I get distracted. I, I get uh, caught up in things and, and things that seem so obvious to me at one point, I, I lose sight of. And uh, I think tonight, I, I hope, um, is an opportunity for us to see afresh kind of the wonder of what the church is and, and the part that we have to play in it. Uh, I will... Uh, kind of challenge you or maybe warn you probably should have had you sign a release form i mean this is this is kind of this is weapons grade truth when you start studying the word of god and as jerry said this this truth has has messed with me and it's messed with others of you in a good way i mean it, it's the when you understand what god is doing in and through the church and, and the plan that he has you know it can affect how you live your life it, it'll affect potentially where you work and where you live and, and moving and changing jobs and leaving jobs. But um, how can we not have regard and affection for the church when Jesus uh, clearly has so much love and put such a, put such a high uh, priority on the life of the church? Let, let me also just encourage you, um, loosen up your fingers. Tonight's going to be a night where I'm going to be throwing out lots of scriptures, and I'm going to try to give you time to get there. Um, But at at a minimum, write these things down, um, because really, this this seems to be, you know, I think about, somebody was talking, uh, or actually it was, uh, Marty was talking about Jerry, uh, you know, unpacking, you know, it's like, okay, I've got half a verse, and now here's a a two-week, you know, series on half of a verse. I'm going to probably be doing the opposite. I'm going to be doing like, you know, 29 scriptures with just a little short comment. But, they, but they're very direct. And I, I, this, there was probably some wisdom in uh, Todd giving me this. this. These are truths that are very obvious and they're very clear and they're very vivid. But I hope that's part of what uh, we benefit from tonight. It's just how rich and vivid the truth is about the Word of God. So let me direct your attention to a couple of quotes uh, as we begin our discussion about the church. Uh, John MacArthur, in his book, Recovering Pastoral Ministry, says this, 
Nothing could be more honorable or have a greater eternal significance than serving our Christ in his church. This privilege is also the most serious responsibility a person can undertake. So think about that. There's nothing more honorable. There's nothing of greater significance than serving our Christ in his church. But how do we lose sight of that? If that's so obvious, if that's so clear, how how do we lose sight of that? And uh, Josh Harris, in his book, had a great quote, dug down deep. Uh, He says, most Christians neglect the doctrine of the church. But that's not really surprising. This subject, by necessity, involves people. Real people. Annoying people. Ton. Um, Obnoxious, stubborn people. People whose preferences and styles get on our nerves. Smells. Musical preferences, whatever. You know, we could have the most soaring, as Josh says, the soaring theological ruminations just come crashing down and we start bumping into each other and we start bumping into people. That doesn't have to be, but that's, that's part of the challenge. So, you know, we can have a low view of the church and uh, we can have um, bad experiences. We can have disappointments. You know, for me, I, I just so benefited personally from taking a fresh look at the church. You know, because... Let's be honest. I mean, as a, as a movement, as a family of churches, we've gone through a season where, boy, this has been hard. You know, we've been um, church life, and, and uh, it's, it's been something that could be a struggle. And, uh, but, so I can tell you, I was really encouraged and ministered to by taking a fresh look at what the, the Word says about uh, the church. So let's start with a definition. So if you could turn to Second Definitions, Chapter 3. And, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, there's not a lot of definitions in the Bible. But, but here's, here's a definition. Uh, and uh, I'm going to probably mispronounce the Greek. But uh, most of you won't know. A couple of you will. Uh, but the church comes from a Greek word, ekklesia. Close? Good? Okay. Uh, ekklesia, which means gathering or it means assembly. Wow, that's pretty simple. <laughs> you know, isn't there something more, isn't there more meat to that? Well, no, it, it means gathering or assembly. The church is a gathering of believers. So there's a lot of wiggle room in that for, for God to, you know, paint the picture of what the church is. So let's uh, dig into that a little bit. Um, you know, Last week, the last couple of weeks, we talked about soteriology. We talked about looking at the salvation that we have in Christ. And, and that was good, and that was rich, and that was glorious. Um, but, you know, a lot of times we can tend to think about what God has done really solely in terms of what it means to me. It's like me and, me and God. I, you know, I know Marty's there, but I, it's really it's me and God. You know, and I'm enjoying the salvation. And, you know, when you think about what God, God's done, it, it's great. I mean, we've, we've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. We've been, we've been adopted into his family. We've been filled with his Holy Spirit. You know, we, we fellowship with him through his word and in the midst of prayer. Um, but it, it's, it's not just us and us alone. There's, um, there's more to the church. And you th- when you think about it, so you take uh, individuals who are new creations. They're filled with, with the Spirit of God. They're graced. They're gifted. They're equipped to serve. And all of a sudden, you start gathering them together. You put, there's another one. And, and you start bringing together these new creations, uh, these people that are part of God's family together in close proximity. Think about the dynamic. You know, I was reminded of uh, Vance, where he kind of used biology and chemistry and you know, you think about when you bring chemicals together and you start mixing them up, things start happening. There's results and maybe there's explosions sometimes. But <clears throat> the church is like that. It's this wonderful thing where these new creations come together. And imagine what could happen when they're united in a common purpose, when they have love for one another and they're all uh, in unity, moving to do certain things and to serve in certain ways. So that's what we have as we talk about the church. So Let's start by looking at the nature of the church. Um, 
the, the church is a community of all true believers. That seems pretty straightforward, right? Well, there's a couple of ways to look at that, and I think both of them have um, some merit. So I'll tell you what, let me, uh, let me have you turn to Ephesians chapter 1 while I talk about the first kind of way to look at the church as a community of believers. So you could say that the church is the community of all true believers in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of good reasons uh, to look at the church in that way. Um, <clears throat> before we get to Ephesians, when you think about um, Acts chapter 2, I think for a lot of people, if you were to say, okay, when did the church start? What's the birthday of the church? A lot of people would say, oh, Acts chapter 2. That's when the Spirit falls and uh, people are brought together, they're, they're united, and um, there's a, sure enough, there's a, a new day ushered in as the Holy Spirit is poured out. Millard Erickson would be somebody who would say, yes, this is, that's a good way to look at when the church started. Um, <clears throat> he looks at, for example, the writings of Luke. And Luke, you know, throughout the Gospel of Luke, the church isn't mentioned. You don't see the, the Greek word ecclesia. But starting after uh, Acts chapter 2, ecclesia is in there a lot. The church is mentioned time and time again, 24 times in the book of Acts. So uh, look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 22. And God placed all things under his feet, his being Jesus, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the church are true believers in Jesus Christ. You see that Jesus is the one uh, who is appointed head over everything. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Let's flip over there real quick. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Excuse me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here the church is, uh, the word church, Ecclesia is used to uh, apply to all those who Christ died to redeem. All those who were saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Very familiar passage. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. So we see here the church belongs to Jesus, <laughs> and that's good to be reminded of. I mean, maybe it seems obvious, but it's Jesus's church. He owns it. He's the one who's going to build it. That's encouraging because, you know, we go through times where we think, oh, I don't know, is Jesus building his church? I don't know. The construction site seems a little funky. No, Jesus is building his church. I mean, we, we get to participate, you know, leaders and people serving and contributing and, and giving their lives. But ultimately, Jesus builds his church. And it's good to know that, that what he's doing is not, it's not going to be thwarted, you know, regardless of laws that are passed or regardless of how things are going or trends in the culture, Jesus will build his church and nothing's going to thwart it. The gates of hell, death, uh, whatever, they, don't, they aren't going to stop Jesus from building his church. Okay, so that's one look at the definition of the church as a community of all true believers in Jesus Christ. We could also look at the church as being defined as a community of all true believers for all time. Okay, well, wait, wait a minute, Dave. What do you mean by that? that? Maybe that sounds a little new to you or different. This, this definition could include Old Testament saints, uh, Abraham, Noah, Moses, David. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. 
Deuteronomy chapter 4. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words, so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. Now, you can look at that and say, okay, well, I don't see the word church there. What are you talking about? Well, the word assemble is a root word that's connected to uh, ecclesia or ecclesia. Um, it's a verb form. So it's assembling the people. So the, so the church and the people of God have been assembled or gathered you know, before Pentecost. And uh, matter of fact, if you look in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of uh, the Old Testament, the word uh, ecclesia appears 69 times. So the gathering of the people of God happens throughout all of redemptive history. God has a people. He has a gathered people. And Deuteronomy 4.10, I'm sorry. Let's look at one other passage that relates to this, or at least one. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is talking about um, Moses, I believe. <laughs> should know that. Uh, Acts 7.38, he was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us. He was in the assembly in the wilderness. Some of your translations may, he was in the church in the wilderness, Wait a minute, what, what was the church doing out in the wilderness? You know, didn't that? This is bef- talking about before Pentecost. Well, again, there's been a gathering of the people of God uh, throughout the history of the people of God. Um, so, you know, to be sure, on the day of Pentecost, there's a, a new day being ushered in. The Spirit of, of God is, is falling. Um, but in a lot of ways, it's continuing a process that God has had going throughout history. Um, the uh, gathering of God's people have been taking place uh, for thousands of years. When, when Paul wrote to the church or the ecclesia at Corinth, you know, to the Jewish believers, that, that, would have been, that would have been a familiar passage. It's not like, well, Paul made up a word or, or Luke made up a word. Hey, I don't know. If that's, I've got a gathering of people. I, don't, you know, I was going to call it my crew or my, I, you know my gang or whatever. No, um, ecclesia would have been a word that would have been familiar with them. Yeah, okay, I know about that. I know about the gathering of God's people, and, and we're gathering as God's people. So that's a, maybe a little different perspective, um, but um, it's a good one. It's a helpful one. Um, very much in the Old Testament, I mean, the ecclesia or the gathering of the people of God were very much defined by the boundaries of the nation of Israel. That's it. That's God's uh, gathering. And at Pentecost, I mean, as the Spirit fell, those walls and those boundaries were obliterated. I mean, Jerry's been talking in the last couple of weeks about boundary lines being, being erased or, or walls being knocked down. Well, when... Uh, Pentecost came, and the Spirit uh, came on the church as, as this new covenant came, the walls of Israel, in a sense, were just flattened. They're knocked down. All of a sudden now, God's saying, you know, what has been kind of a national church, we're going international. We're going universal. I'm, I'm making all people of faith my people. And, you know, when you look at that, it, it starts to, maybe it's just a little different perspective on the Great Commission. You know, there wasn't necessarily a great commission when the, when the boundaries were up. You know, it was just the nation of Israel. But now, those walls have been flattened, and, and God's saying, go. I want you, you know, I have people everywhere. Let's, um, 
let's bring this throughout the world. So look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 22, says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You've come to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So we see in the midst of that, we see the church of the firstborn. And when you think about the context of, of Hebrews 11, you think about what's happened, or excuse me, Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 11, there's like this, you know, the all-star team of people of faith. You know, you see Moses and David and all these people who by faith uh, are, are the people of God. And that continues. Um, so the church is a wonder. The church uh, is multi- has many has many layers. It, it's multidimensional, and it's uh, it's really a wonder to consider. So let's let's look at a couple of other aspects to the nature of the church. Um, so we talked about the first one, which is uh, the church is the community of of uh, all believers. The second aspect is that the church is invisible, yet visible. The church is invisible, yet visible. Now, again, it's like, that sounds a little weird. It's invisible. There's a, you know, we have our invisibility cloaks, or I don't know. What does that mean? It sounds a little mystical or weird. What does that mean exactly? Well, when we talk about, and, and really this uh, definition, I, I believe, started to be discussed uh, around the time of the Reformation. This would have been uh, a distinction that... Uh, um, you know, Luther, Calvin would have said, yeah, this, this helps us to understand the church. So when we talk about the invisible church, there's a sense that we don't, we don't know exactly what the outlines of the church are. There's, there's a mystical, spiritual aspect to it. Look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy two verse nineteen. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription: "The Lord knows those who are His." Everyone that confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. The Lord knows those who are His. We can think we know, and we'll talk a little bit about this. We can, there are evidences, there are fruit that we could say, okay, I think I know. But ultimately, in a final sense, it's the Lord that knows who are his. Um, you know, and last, last week we talked a little bit about perseverance of the saints, and, you know, maybe this is uh, an aspect where you could say, okay, I, that, you know, I can, gives me a way to think about what happens, what about these people that seem to be here, and then they fall, and were they saved, weren't they saved? Um, let's kind of hold that in mind for just a second, but turn to First uh, Samuel 16. We're talking about the invisible church. The church as God sees it. First Samuel 16, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things, at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So again, um, we're talking about the invisible church. We're looking, we're talking about the fact that God sees things uh, that we don't always see. Louis Burkhoff, in talking about this topic, he, he said, look, the, the church is essentially spiritual. Its spiritual essence can't always be determined by the physical eye. It's impossible to determine infallibly 
who does not and who does belong to the church. Again, there are evidences, there are fruit, there are gifts, but in a final sense, the Lord knows who belongs to him. We don't, we don't know for sure. Um, the blessings of salvation, we talked about those last week. Um, regeneration, genuine conversion, true faith, spiritual communion with Christ, these are all invisible to the eye. You know, you don't see uh, conversion in the sense that, okay, I can perceive it. It's, it's real. I mean, there's nothing more real than what God does in the life of his people. But, but that's part of sort of the invisible aspect, the spiritual aspect of the church. These things do constitute the real form and, and really the ideal character of the church. But it's, it's good to kind of hold in mind that we don't always, we don't always perceive the church exactly like God does. Um, so let's talk about, we've talked about the invisible aspect. Let's talk about the visible aspect. <laughs> this is the part that we, okay, so I, this is good. I, I, I can deal with this. So when you talk about the visible church, this is the church as Christians see, see it. This is how Christians on earth see the church. And this can include true believers and people who are not believers. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? So let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Actually, you know what? I'm going to just read a couple to you. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 1, 2, this is the church, the, the letter is being addressed. It says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So there's a visible church in Corinth. He's writing, there's, a phys, there's visible, there's physical people. He's writing to the church in Corinth. In uh, Philemon 1 and 2, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow, fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home. So this is the, the visible church. They're, they're writing to people. They're talking about people that they know, they can see. Um, but let's talk for a second about the fact that the, that the visible church can include people who are not true believers. I mean, ideally, it is. It's, it's all true believers. But uh, it's not always the case. Let's do turn to this, Acts chapter 20. You know, ultimately, this isn't to make us suspicious. It's not, you know, okay, who, who is it? Who's that? Who's that person that's not a true believer? Um, but look at Acts chapter 20. Verse 29 and 30. Now, <clears throat> this is the Apostle Paul. He's getting ready to leave and he's having a meeting of folks from the church in Ephesus. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Now, what's especially interesting about this is Paul is talking to the elders from the church at Ephesus. So Paul is saying, look, I've got to tell you, I've got to warn you prophetically, there's going to be people arising from your midst. I mean, it's kind of weird to think, you know, it's Paul stopping by the advisory board meeting, hey, you know, and, you know, God forbid anybody that would be true of us. But, you know, there it is, Paul warning and saying, look, Men will arise from uh, from your own number and draw away disciples after themselves. Matthew chapter seven it says, "Watch out for uh, this is verse fifteen and sixteen. Matthew seven fifteen and sixteen. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them." Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So 
I mean, we will recognize people by their fruit. But again, that recognition is not always perfect. It's not always uh, complete. Uh, we just need to realize that that's one of the aspects of the church. You know, we're, the, we're gathered believers, but you know, we have visitors. We have people that are, uh, who seem like believers, but maybe are not for, for any number of reasons. That's um, good to keep that in mind. In a lot of ways, some of the warnings of Scripture about, I think we talked about some of those last week. You know, there's some very strong admonishments and warnings and, and reproofs that happen. I, I think to a degree, that could be helpful when you consider who's, who's in the church, who's reading the letter. There's kind of a mix of believers uh, and non-believers, potentially, in, in Corinth or Ephesus or Galatia. So the third aspect of the nature of the church is that the church is local and it's universal. So in the New Testament, in particular, the word church can be applied to a group of believers at lots of level. Uh, at one level, it could be just a, a church meeting in a house. Uh, at, at the other end of the spectrum, it's the church universal. It's the church everywhere. Um, and let's look at those, uh, how the church is addressed in different places. Romans chapter 16. Romans 16 and verse 5. At the end of the book, I believe uh, Paul is sending out a, uh, a greeting. He says, greet also the church that meets at their house. So here's a church. Here's a house church. It's very small. Maybe they're not, they're not big enough to have their own building, but they are a church nonetheless. Uh, a church could be a city church. I'll just uh, read this to you, but it's in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. It says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be his holy people. Um, so this is a city church. Uh, church in Corinth. Um, a church can be referred to even a larger area. There could be, a, in a sense, sort of a regional aspect. Uh, let's do turn here, Acts chapter 9. Acts 9, verse 31 says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So here's a church. It's not, not just a church in a home. It's not just a church in a city. But we're talking about the church as a region. Um, so, again, the church has lots of aspects. It has lots of uh, kind of facets to its character. Finally, let's look at uh, a scripture in reference to kind of the universal aspect of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, verse 28. And God is placed in the church first, uh, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, uh, workers of miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. God has placed in the church these gifts. Now, he is writing to the church in Corinth, you know, but... You know, was it the church in Corinth, the only people that had apostles? No, the apostles were for the universal church, for the church everywhere. So there's an aspect as you read, and usually, you know, when you're reading about uh, the church in context, you could tell, okay, are they talking about the, a house church? Are they talking about the church universal? You can, you can generally tell by, the, by the, the context of its message. So, again, these are... This is how the church is local and universal. All right, next, let's talk about the metaphors for the church. 
So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of word pictures. There's a lot of images that are used to speak about the church. Now, again, since I'm used to leading a community group, and it's really awkward to have like silence. So I say, somebody give me a metaphor. When you think of what what would be like the most notable or maybe the most popular metaphor for the church? The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Okay, that's a that's a big one. Jerry mentioned that. Uh, the Bride of Christ. And we're going to talk about that, and that's, that is so amazing when you consider all that that can, can mean to us, all that that communicates to us about the way God looks at the church and the way that we are as the church to look to him. Uh, but there's a lot of other metaphors. And you can say, well, I don't, I don't know. Why, why is there so many? That could be confusing. Yes. Holy nation. Holy nation. Okay, that's a popular one. We'll talk about that. Any any other ones? What other metaphors? As sheep. sheep. <laughs> okay. We're a flock. Royal priesthood. Body of Christ. Body of Christ. Biggie. What was that? Oh. All right. Let's talk about a few of these. Um, because they really help us, you know, sometimes we can have our favorite, and there you've probably been at churches where you think, okay, I'm, boy, I'm always hearing about the bride of Christ, and that's good. But if we only have one metaphor, we probably are missing some other things that God wants to communicate about the nature of the church and how we're to view it and, and our part to play in it. So we're going we're gonna to roll through these pretty quick, but uh, let's start in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and look at our first metaphor. And that's the metaphor of the church as family. First Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 1. says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So God helps to kind of shape our relationships, to shape our interactions within the church by reminding us of of very familiar kind of relationships. Okay, so how do I relate to, you know, an older man? Okay, how do I relate to my dad? There should be an aspect of respect and, um, you know, humility. Um, So there can be a family metaphor to describe the church. The bride of Christ is the next one. So let's... Um, let me have you turn to Revelation chapter 21 as we talk about the bride of Christ. And you know, I'll tell you when, um, you guys have probably seen, uh, I've seen this from time to time, these collections of uh, the groom's first glimpse of the bride you ever seen those? I've seen these collections where I, as wedding photographers, they submit these or something, but there's all these, it's like the first time the groom sees his bride in her dress. And, you know, they're, they're usually, they're kind of like, you know, or there are tears. I mean, you could just see just the love and the, just the, all the emotion. And as Jerry said, when you think about Jesus looking at the church that way. I mean, I don't want to over-sentimentalize it, but I think God wants to get our attention about how Jesus looks at his church. Um, So let's look at a few of these. Revelation 21. Before you get to that, I'll just read this real quick. It's in 2 Corinthians 11 too. Excuse me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So I think everybody's in Revelation 21, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. Skip over to the next, uh, the next chapter, Revelation 22, verse 17. 
The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let uh, him who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. It's the bride, the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. This will be the last uh, one we look at in reference to the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body for which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. And uh, towards the end of that passage, you go all the way to verse 40, 40, excuse me, 32. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am speaking to you about Christ and the church. So, again, you can use the metaphor of the bride to get a glimpse of how Jesus views us. I mean, there's all kinds of, you, you think about how the, the bride has kept herself pure uh, for the bridegroom. You think about how they, they're de- they declare their love to one another in a, in a public way and in front of all people, their, their love and their commitment. Um, let's look at First uh, Corinthians chapter 3. This is the metaphor of the church as a field of crops and a building. It's kind of an interesting, you know, things that but God put them together in here. A field of crops and a building. And you could say, okay, well, I have to critique, you know, scripture here a little bit. You shouldn't mix your metaphors. You know, let's try to, as a writer, that could be something you say, well, God knows what he's doing. <laughs> There's an aspect we could say, okay, help me to understand the church as I think about a field of crops and, and as a building. First Corinthians chapter three. Verse six. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. <clears throat> Excuse me. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. We are all co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So, again, you think about this metaphor. All right, so what is God saying? I'm, I'm a field. Well, I mean, earlier he says, look, I mean, the field doesn't, the field doesn't plant itself. The field doesn't water itself. The field uh, is made to grow by, by the ministry of others. And, and that's true uh, for us as a church. You know, God is the one who's responsible for the growth. And we'll talk a minute about, you know, God's building is used in a lot of ways. You know, we'll, God's house and, and the temple. There's a lot of different metaphors related to a building. But, but growth comes from, from God's gracious activity in our life. Let's look at First Peter Chapter 2. This is a metaphor, again, that kind of mixes a couple of things, but it talks about the church as a new temple and as a new group of priests. Darren mentioned that. Kind of nation of priests. First Peter 2. Starting in verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So a new temple, a spiritual house, and a, and a holy priesthood. Um, when you look at... Um, the fact that we're we're part of this house, you know, God is the one who's building it. Um, we're kind of bricks or living stones. Um, there's a lot of things we can learn about that. I mean, we can, 
you know, even as you examine your own life, and, and we're all probably different places, or different experience with the church, but, you know, a building is not just a bunch of bricks thrown into a field. Um, that might be how I would build a building. And Marty wouldn't build a building like that. But um, sometimes I think, you know, we could just say, okay, well, I'm around some Christians, I guess. Is that, is that enough? I went to a meeting. or I think there's more to it than that. I think when you look at how a building is built, I think we can learn something about <clears throat> our relationships and our place in the church. Uh, bricks are mortared together. I mean, there's, there's cement or however, however they're being uh, bound together. But there should be an aspect of our life that that should be true of us. You know, you look at your life in the church and say, I, who, am I, who am I mortared to? Who am I, who am I stuck to? <laughs> who am I stuck with? No, that's not right. Um, but there, there should be an aspect of your life that, you know what? <clears throat> there's a lot of people that I relate to, people that I minister to, people that minister to me. But there are, there are, are a group of people that, you know, God has cemented me in place. I have a place, but I'm not standing alone. I'm standing with others. And um, that's an aspect of our life as the church. Um, let's talk about the body of Christ as the metaphor. That's a, a very popular one. You know, people think about the bride of Christ. They think about the body of Christ. And there's things that we can learn about the church when you think about that metaphor. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a metaphor of the church as the whole body. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 16. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So this is talking about the, the church as the body of Christ. It's the whole body. But there's also mentions of uh, the church as the body of Christ where Jesus is mentioned as the head. So Jesus is the head, and we're, we're the body that lines up underneath the head. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So, you know, here's a, here's a metaphor that's talking about um, unity. It's talking about being joined together. It's talking about, um, you know, uh, maintaining and, and holding together those connections. And, um, boy, I tell you, building and growing uh, in love, each part do, doing its work. What a great picture of the, of the church. You know, it's not just a few gifted, um, you know, I have, as long as we've we got the, the preacher and as long as he's good, everybody else can, you know, it's just, that's not the church. I mean, that's more like a, a performance or something. We need every part doing its work, every part uh, building itself up in love. We all have a part to play. That's the church. And... Um, Metaphor, uh, a pillar and foundation for the truth. Maybe that's one you haven't heard. Look at 1 Timothy 3. Jerry, you said two hours. Is that, is that all I have tonight? Yeah. So, okay, I just wanted to make sure. Huh? Okay. <laughs> all right. Yes, exactly. First uh, Timothy 3. This is a metaphor I, I don't know that I hadn't seen. Um, 
1 Timothy 3, verse 15. Paul says, If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Uh, The pillar and foundation of the truth. That's the church. The pillar and foundation of the church. So we're, in a sense, we, we guard the truth. We're the citadel of the truth. We're defending the truth. You know, and we live in a time where, you know, the truth is under attack a lot of times, isn't it? I mean, it's not just, hey, we, we bring the church, and everybody, or we bring the truth. Everybody says, hey, that's great. I, I accept that. No challenge. You know, if you're bringing it and you're representing the church, I mean, has anybody experienced that? I don't I mean, the, the, church, the truth is always under attack. Uh, we can come up with lots of examples in our culture today where we say, you know, there's, there's truth about how God views life, you know, marriage or, you know, all kinds of things. And the church should be speaking the truth. We're defending it. We're the pillar of the truth in, in the world today. That's one of the metaphors. Then the final metaphor People are saying, thank you, finally. (laughs) Uh, Revelation chapter 21. uh, Let's look at that. This is the metaphor of the church as the new or the heavenly Jerusalem. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will be, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or, or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. There, and there's lots of places where the church is talked about as the new Jerusalem. Um, the heavenly Jerusalem. So there's an aspect, I mean, we, I think as we talked about the attributes of God, I mean, God is omnipresent. He's, he's present everywhere, all the time, fully. But there's an aspect that God is present wonderfully and uniquely among his people, among his gathered people, the ecclesia, the church. So that's a wonderful uh, privilege and wonderful metaphor, you know, for us to you know, even as we gather as a church sometimes to think, oh, Lord, I love how you're manifest, uh, how you manifest yourself. I love the, that aspect of your presence that I, I enjoy when I'm gathered with other people. Um, that's something that we can savor and appreciate. So as I kind of wrap up here, uh, this, by the way, this um, Topic. I mean, could be like a big series. I think even uh, I was looking at. Um, I think Wayne Grudem takes you know two or three sessions to go through it. There's huge aspects of of what we could talk about uh, as the church. We're not going to touch on uh, for all of you that have your, your your questions about you know the difference between the kingdom and the church or different dispensations. You can ask those, but those are kind of outside the coloring outside the lines. But all that just to say, you know, there's a lot more to what we could study. So some aspects, uh, some marks of a church. This is important, you know, because there's a lot of groups. There's buildings all over. You could say, boy, they've got church in their name. Is that a, They must be a church, right? Well, not, not everybody who says that they're a church is a church in the way that, that Scripture defines it. So we need to know, how, how do I tell? What is it that makes a church a church? Well, first of all, and these were uh, some marks that uh, Luther and Calvin agreed upon. Uh, First of all, a church must be marked by 
true preaching of the word. Okay? So, uh, a church has true preaching of the word of God. Now, you could ask, oh, how do we know? How, how true does it have to be? You know, what if, there's a, what if there's something that's not exactly right? Is it not a church anymore? Well, there's aspects that, you know, different churches have different, um, are, are more or less mature. Uh, but, but a church should have regard for a preaching of God's word, true preaching of God's word. Um, they should also have a right administration of the sacraments. So what are we talking about there? Sacraments. We're talking about baptism. We're talking about the Lord's Supper. A true church will have these things. We'll, they'll uh, practice these things. We'll, we'll teach about them. We'll enjoy them. We'll, uh, um, that'll be part of our practice when we join together. And um, that's going to be all that I'm going to talk about. I've got more. <laughs> I've got more. Um, as we close, I mean, the purpose of the church, obviously we want to minister to God. That's worship. We want to minister to one another. That's nurture. Um, and we want to minister to the word, uh, minister to the world, evangelism, mercy, there's a lot more that could be said. Um, let me finish with one verse. This, this will be the last one we look at. Ephesians chapter 3. If you could turn there. Ephesians 3. You know, we want... Um, there's a great quote by John Stott. It says, If the church is central to God's purpose as is seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely be central in our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? So, you know, this is like all these messages. There's a place for us to say, all right, how, how, do, how am I relating to this, the truth? How, you know, am I... Am I discerning how important the church is? Is the church central to my life as a believer, or is it kind of, eh, it's kind of a, it's a nice thing. You know, it's, it's an accessory. It's like the, you know, I don't have to have the fuzzy dice in my car, you know, hanging from the mirror, but I like them. They're an accessory. If I don't have them, it's okay. Sometimes we can live like we think, ah, you know, I've got my Bible, me and Jesus. No, we need the church. <laughs> it's God's plan. It, it's focal to Jesus, it should be a focal point to us. Ephesians 3, verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all of God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless, the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which in ages past has been kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. God has wisdom. God has manifold wisdom. And he chose to display it through us. <laughs> Through us gathered together, through us uh, in unity and, and living a shared life and, and appreciating his word. Um, what a high privilege. And uh, let's, let's just uh, kind of commit to ourselves. Lord, I, wanna, I want scripture to inform how I look at the church. You know, our culture, our culture is not one where we look and say, hey, they're going to encourage me in how I look at the church. I mean, they'll say, oh, yeah, if you're, you look at a, you're writing a script and they say, okay, I'm going to have a church in this scene. Well, it's usually, okay, well, it's some frumpy folks who, you know, they're not, not super fashionable and maybe they're, you know, they're a little, they're nice, they're kind of harmless, but no, this is the, the church of the living God. The, these are new creations in Christ gathered together and we have a glorious life together.
in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the church. Lord Jesus, the church is yours. The church was your idea. The church is your bride. You gave your life for the church. And we are grateful that we have been grafted in, that you have chosen us, and that you have really brought us to a place. I thank you, God, that um, we're a part of a fellowship that does have a high view of the church, <laughs> that this is, this is true, and we have a great heritage as a people of, of seeing the church through your eyes. But Lord, help us to do that all the more in the days to come.